Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, my very special guest is Dr. Jeff Wasserman. He is a pain specialist who's practiced in Dallas for over 20 years and pioneered several advanced interventional therapies to relieve uh, chronic pain for his patients. He does specialize in minimally invasive disc healing therapies and spine implants for chronic pain. So thank you for joining me, Dr. Wasserman. Welcome well. to the show. Excellent. So let's go back in time. Um, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, in northern Jersey, a little bit outside of Newark in a small town, Maplewood. Uh, Two brothers, you know, family dog, mother, father, the usual stuff. Uh, went to Columbia High School. Uh, went to Lafayette College in Pennsylvania where I uh, majored in biology. And that got me into Penn State University for medical school because it was pretty close at Hershey, Pennsylvania. And uh, while I was there, I was doing research in anesthesia and kind of fell in love with anesthesia. And then did a uh, anesthesia and pain management residency at Massachusetts General, which is the main Harvard teaching hospital in Boston. Uh, completed that in 1991. And then I stayed on staff with the Harvard teaching hospital uh, in Cambridge. And then I moved to Dallas in 94, met my wife here, and here I stay. And I have two kids. Wonderful. Wonderful. So what was it that actually made you decide to go into anesthesiology or pain management? Uh, I, well, I got into healthcare at the age of 16, actually, when I was a volunteer with a first aid squad up in New Jersey, and immediately knew that's what I wanted to do long term. Um, and I highly recommend that for anybody thinking about going into healthcare. You got to spend some time volunteering mm. and you got to see if it's really right for you. Uh, so I, I, and actually I never wanted to go into healthcare until that. I, I did it because I thought it was going to be neat to get trained in CPR and become an EMT. And then I quickly, you know, learned that that was going to be my, my career is for me. So I did that. I even got trained as a paramedic while I was in uh, college and in medical school. I flew at a helicopter service wow. while I was in medical school. I thought I wanted to be a trauma surgeon or an emergency room doctor <laughs> and as as things have it, uh, the, the the people I met who did that just didn't seem happy with what they did. They they they, bur they were burned out, and they didn't actually recommend going into that for career. Uh. Whereas the anesthesiologists at Penn State were happy; they loved what they were doing. Uh, I got to do cardiology. I got to do trauma. I got to do the things I liked about medicine that I thought I wanted to do in the emergency room. I found out I could do it in the operating room, so wow. it just went into that. Excellent. 
So what now, you know, you obviously following your passion, you love what you do. So what is the best thing about being in this field? Well, the, the one downside about anesthesia and being in the operating room is you just don't have your own patients and, and people never remember your name. I mean, if someone has a surgery, you go, okay, who was your anesthesiologist? You know, they have a deer in the headlight look. They really don't know. It's pretty rare. Uh, even though you're responsible for their life during the few hours of the surgery, but people don't remember you. So I didn't like that aspect of it. And I found that doing chronic pain medicine, uh, and I am board certified in that as well, in addition to anesthesia, uh, I found that you could get a little bit of everything. I was in the operating room, I was doing anesthesia, and I also had a clinic where I was treating patients with chronic pain. So, and I like the interaction of the patients. Uh, I like having the staff, the medical assistants and nurse practitioners working with me. I like the whole patient management thing and not just being in an operating room, seeing somebody for a couple of hours and never seeing them again. Excellent. So you've actually pioneered some advanced interventional therapies. So let's talk about that. Sure. Uh, well, I was, I didn't actually develop equipment myself. I worked with some companies to help them such as Medtronic. Uh, but uh, Dr. Lloyd and I from the very beginning, whenever new technologies would come out, we'd be, one of the first, if not the first providers in Dallas to actually use them in this area of the country. So several newer, the spinal cord stimulator system, uh, vertebral cementing procedures, uh, dorsal ganglion stimulation. Uh, I do stem cell injections. I was one of the first in the area to do those as well. We're just on the cutting edge. Uh, we like to be able to offer everything to our patients who really don't have any other options. We like to be the guys to be able to offer everything that we can. And we get trained in it first, obviously. And uh, we wouldn't offer anything to anybody we wouldn't do on our families or to ourselves. Yes, yes. Excellent, excellent. So um, just share with us the, you know, the stem cell injections. How does that actually work? How does it make people better from their pain? Well, there's several different varieties of that. You can do what's called a bone marrow aspiration, where you place a needle uh, into the pelvic bone and, and get a sample, which is actually quite easy to do. And then you spin it down in a centrifuge and you get a layer that's a concentrate rich in uh, uh, mesenchymal stem cells. And then we'll inject them into joints, typically, sometimes tendons, uh, to help not just reduce inflammation, but regrow tissue. And this is the new cutting edge of medicine. And in 10 or 20 years, this is going to be the way everything's done, I believe. Whether it's the spine, whether it's the joints, we're not just going to be replacing joints. We're going to be helping people to regrow new cartilage. Uh, there's no doubt that's where the future of medicine is. The problem is right now it's in its infancy. We can get stem cells, uh, but keeping the viability of the stem cells is an issue. And then uh, getting them to do what you want them to do. So I can get stem cells and put them into a joint, but can I make it grow into cartilage? Will it become bone? Will it become fat? We're not at that level yet where we even know what they do, other than we know we do get some results. Uh, but documenting, documenting efficacy and making the cells become what we want to do, we're not there yet. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, there's some clinics who sell, who oversell it. Um, yeah. They charge a lot of money for it. They're not covered by insurance. Uh, they promise results they cannot uh, really guarantee, and right. they cannot document. And that includes especially these stem cell clinics abroad. So in the United States, for example, it's uh, against federal regulations to take stem cells, manipulate them, significantly whether culturing them or doing or making additives to it and then re-injecting them back in the patient you can only take a patient's own stem cells 
quickly manipulate them with a centrifuge and then re-inject them in the patients. That, the FDA is okay with that. But once you start culturing them and growing them, especially on culture mediums that have non-human tissue in them, such as cow fibroblasts, uh, you really get into a realm that you can't, you can't document safety with that, and nor can you document efficacy, let alone charge somebody $50,000 or so to do that, which is extreme. Uh, so people get their cells harvested here in the United States, and then they'll fly abroad to Panama or to the Caribbean and get the cells injected into them. And honestly, that's dubious at best. Okay. Wow, that's, uh, thanks for the insightful information. There's certainly my patients who have started to get some of these techniques done. Um, and you know, you're not too sure exactly what is happening, but thank you for the elaboration on that. Can you just share you know, spinal cord stimulator? How does that work for the chronic pain patient? Right, now spinal cord stimulation has been around for over 40 years, uh, but it's, the technology has, has changed dramatically. Well, when I first started doing this, we used to put external uh, receivers on people. They didn't even have a battery implanted in them. But the, the basic theory, it's gate control theory, just like a TENS unit, but much more advanced. If you put an electrical field over the back of the spinal cord, it blocks pain signals that are transmitted in the back of the spinal cord up to the brain. So you basically block the pain signal of that location. You don't change the patient's pathology per se, but you do change the way their pain is sensed. And some of the newer systems uh, even affect the emotional component of pain. So for example, if I was to cut your skin in your leg, you don't just go, ouch, you go, ouch. There's a little bit of an emotion to it. And that emotional component of pain may be just as severe as the sensory component with the depression and anxiety and the hypochondriasis that come along with it. And the newer systems may not only block the pain transmission, but may also uh, positively affect the affective component, the emotional component of pain. So we do a trial of these systems first. We'll place a, a lead or one or two leads into the spinal column, which is done through a needle, local anesthetic, outpatient procedure, literally takes 15 to 30 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. We put some tape on the back and we put a little power source in the patient and they go home with it and they go about the usual activity. They live with it. They see what it does to control their pain, improve their functioning and how it affects the use of opiates and other analgesic medications. They come back and see us usually after a week or so. And if they have very significant results, it shouldn't be subtle. It should be a very obvious positive result. Then we'll implant one of these systems into the patient a week or two later with an implanted battery that's rechargeable. Mm. And some of the systems are now MRI compatible as well. So they can have MRIs uh, once they have the system implanted and they can have that for uh, the rest of their lives if it works well for them. Wow. Wow. Okay, well, thank you for that. What about spine implants? You mentioned spine implants in your bio. So how does, how does that work for the patients? Uh, I, I think that's probably referring to the Superion uh, implants. Uh, they're small little titanium implants that go between the spinous processes of the uh, lower back. So for people who suffer from spinal stenosis that hasn't responded to more conservative therapies, such as physical therapy, medications, and even simple injections, and if they're not a surgical candidate or a good open surgical candidate, uh, then we can implant these devices to uh, basically just put the spine in a position where the nerves are not compressed for people with spinal stenosis and they can get long-term relief, especially of the pain shooting into their legs, what we call neurogenic claudication that happens with ambulation. So they're able to function much better after the devices and had very good results with that. Very impressed with the device so far. 
Mm -hmm. Just for the interest of you know getting more personal, just can you maybe reflect on a a, a, a case that you've had recently where you've maybe implanted one of these. Um, spinal implants and the benefits that actually happen to them. Obviously, we're not interested in, in people's names and confidentiality. We need to keep that on board. But, you know, just for a, an, an idea of the longevity of the pain and then what actually happened with them. Sure. So as one example, I've got a patient, I believe she's around 70 years old, and I've been, she'd been in my practice for a long time. Uh, she's got spinal stenosis at two levels, at L3-4 and L4-5 primarily. And the stenosis, meaning compression of nerves uh, inside the spine due to narrowing of the different spaces, either the central canal uh, or the uh, foramen, the outer canals where the nerves leave the spine. Uh, she had both at both those levels. We had treated her medically for years with different medications. She had done physical therapy, chiropractic manipulation. Uh, she'd done epidural steroid injections, maybe one or two every year and got results. I believe we even did spinal cord stimulation or tried it on her. It just didn't work for her, so she never had it implanted. So um, I offered her a device after getting an MRI scan and getting some flexion extension x-rays to be sure there was no instability in her spine. Uh, implanted device that was probably about six months ago or so. Uh, her main problem was back pain radiating into the legs when she would walk more than about 100 feet or so. So she'd she was able to function, but she wasn't able to ambulate, you know, walk around, go shopping, or do the things she wanted to do without having to rest every one or two minutes or so. Mm -hmm. uh, implanted the device, and not only is her pain at rest better, but she's able to now shop and walk around uh, several times around the block. So she's able to function better, lose weight, and her lifestyle has changed dramatically. At the end of the day, what we're all about is not treating pain per se, but it's improving the quality of life of the patient. Yes. And the main thing of that is functioning, how well they're functioning. And can we get them off of pain medications that are sedating, uh, cause depression, or have other untoward side effects? Yes, excellent. Well, thank you for that excellent uh, case history. So what is now your biggest challenge that you're facing right now? Biggest challenge, uh, you know, it, it's a tough time right now to practice medicine in the United States. Uh, not so much from the regulatory point of view, but just getting patient, being able to do things in your patients that you want to do because of insurance coverage. Uh, and it's very difficult. You, you have a patient who's an ideal candidate and we deal in chronic pain patients. So they don't come to us first. They've been through the mill. They've been through several doctors first, a primary care physician, uh, often several other specialists by the time they get to us. Uh, so what we're doing is pretty novel treatments and novel treatments aren't liked by the insurance companies. Uh, many of the things we do or we know we can do that will work are considered investigational experimental and they're just not covered by insurance. And, and that's gonna become more and more common. The insurance companies are tightening down uh, they're, uh, you know, they're for-profit businesses for the most part. So they're worried about making a profit and that doesn't work in the best interest of the patient many times, now, especially when you're talking about workers' compensation or those type of systems where nothing can get done. It takes months to get anything pre-authorized. The patients are frustrated. We're frustrated for them. Um, and so that, that's the most negative thing. And there are positive things happening too. We talked about regenerative medicine procedures such as stem cells. I think the use, uh, the, the less reliance upon opiate medications is a positive thing. 
Uh, I think patients are really buying into that. They're seeing on the news, they know the problem. So I find it much easier these days to wean patients down or off their opiates than, than a couple years ago where people really relied upon those as a crutch. Uh, now they, they are familiar with the danger after the CDC report in 2016. Uh, so they're negatives and they're positives these days. Excellent. Um, so two more questions. What's the best advice you've ever received? Best for well, believe in myself. Um, and and uh, I've got a, a master's of business too. And I'll tell you the best thing about doing that is you learn about yourself. You learn about your strengths, your weaknesses. You learn to play to your strengths. You learn what your weaknesses are. And some weaknesses you can't overcome. You just got to accept them and say, that's, that, that's me and that's the way I am. So let me rely upon my strengths. Uh, but that, that, that translates into your, the way you are with patients as well and your patience with them and uh, treating everybody the way you'd want to be treated and just being polite. And so, again, just believing in myself has allowed me to be a better practitioner. Yes, wonderful. So where could, where could our audience go to learn more about you and your services? Well, there's my website. If they just look under Jeff Wasserman, MD, uh, it'll be taken to the website for Dr. Lloyd and I at Vital Pain Care uh, here in Dallas. Uh, we're located primarily at the Carroll Clinic off of uh, 75 in Central Dallas and in our Addison office. I also go to Forney, Texas currently. Uh, so we're focused throughout the Metroplex. And we accept all insurances, including Medicare and Medicaid, and all the, a lot of the Medicare uh, uh, HMOs right now. And we're here to help. Well, thank you, Dr. Wasserman. Excellent interview. Thanks for your insights and your your service to, to your population, and uh, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, very welcome, thank you very much.